Today, we will be continuing our current sermon series, Extraordinary Love. Well, happy 4th of July to you. We are so thankful that you're here with us and we're grateful for those who have fought so that we can enjoy the freedoms that we do have. And we're thankful for an opportunity to gather with you this morning. So I want to welcome each and every one of you. If you're a first-time guest, I want to extend a special welcome to you. We are just thankful to have you. We have a gift for you. It's a gift bag you can pick up on your way out. would love to connect with you. The easiest way to do that is through a connection card. So you can find that in person. You can go to our website. You can use our Riverman app. And there you also find updates of what's happening here, Sunday essentials, as far as notes to follow along with today's message. And then lastly, I just want to say uh, what a joy it is to be with you. It's a joy to be together uh, this morning. And I'm just grateful that you're here and I'm grateful that we get together this day. And today we're continuing a teaching series called Extraordinary Love. And it's based off a prophet's journey named Hosea and these instructions that God gives to Hosea. And and I'm going to get to that in just a minute. But I have a question for you. And here's the question. What would make you jealous? What would make you jealous? Just think with me for a moment. What would make you jealous? Now, jealousy often can be used in a term of envy. You want what somebody else has, so you're jealous of them, right? You're jealous of their car or their house or their friends or their Instagram following, right? It can be used in in that kind of way. But jealousy also can be used to define a proactive, protective type of love. A love that is fierce, a love that is not indifferent, but is a pursuing type of love. A love that when someone steps out of the, the bounds of a covenant, whether that's in a marriage sense of the word, or it's a friendship that you've covenanted with somebody else before God, and, and they really minimize that covenant and turn to others, jealousy starts to creep in. Jealousy not only creeps in, but it, it moves to the point where you're asking questions like, why are you doing this? And why are you flirting with this person? And why do you have this emotional connection with this person? Wait a minute, what's going on with this text message that's coming through? Wait a minute, I just noticed that you friend requested and became friends on Facebook with your old high school sweetheart. What's happening here, right? If that happened, if you're married, you're like, whoa, 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 what's going on? What's going on here, right? But in both senses, jealousy is important in order to protect that love. You know, as I think about what would make me jealous and and what jealousy would look like, I think of my my bride, Amy, and this is her when she said yes to the dress, uh, my my beautiful, beautiful bride, Amy. And we got married and, and we made this covenant together, this covenant that said, hey, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, we are in it together. And, and boy, have we experienced that in our relationship. We've experienced the, the joys and the sorrows of life together. And one thing that you need to know about Amy, she's, she's really quiet and very uh, inviting. She put, puts on a, a really uh, a good sense about helping others to be comfortable and you know, talking to her. She's a great listener. But the other thing you need to know about Amy that you wouldn't know if you didn't have this close proximity to her, she's fierce about those that she loves. And I, I'll never forget in 2004 when we got married and I started 
uh, to work at the Chick-fil-A White Hall, not the White Hall that my brother owns, but the Chick-fil-A Mall, the Lehigh Valley Mall. Uh, I was there, and I was, you know, there as I'm, I'm in between getting married, as we've gotten married, and then I'm, I'm looking to, to become a pastor of some sort, youth pastor, that's what I was going after. And so I had to provide for the family. Anyways, one of the things that you, f- you find when you're from Atlanta and you come to a context like the Northeast, people aren't used to friendliness. They're not used to what Chick-fil-A calls the second mile service. They're not used to, hey, how are you doing? How's your day going? You know, like as you're working on their order. And so I was doing this, and, and this is just how I was brought up. I was raised this way. And I worked at Chick-fil-A in the Atlanta area uh, growing up. And, and I'll never forget, one day Amy comes in and she sits down because she's waiting to give me something. And there's a group of, of young women gathered together. And Amy hears them start to say the following. And I won't use the whole thing that they said in light of children being here in the room. But they said, that guy really, really wants to get with you. And you can fill in the blank, all right? That guy really, man, he, and they were just talking it up. And they're like, yeah, he was, he was really flirting with you. He, you know, he wants to hook up with you. All these types of things. And Amy hears this and she says, um, excuse me, excuse me. I, I want you to know the man you're talking about is my husband. And I don't appreciate you talking about him in this way he's just being friendly he's not trying to hook up with you and then after that they all said we're so sorry no they didn't they stood up they stood up and i'm waiting on people as this is happening cash register i'm like doing my thing they stand up and they're like why are you listening on a conversation huh you want to go you want to go you and then amy's like took her earrings off and said yeah let's get no no she didn't do that <laughs> she didn't do that part but but then then they, they were like man you know why are you all in our business da, 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 da. and so amy's like you know set her piece and if you know amy to do that takes a lot of courage because of who she is but in general it takes a lot of courage she proceeds to leave i don't know what happened she leaves she goes to the car and then has a good good cry but that's what fierce love does. She was protecting our covenant. And she didn't want anybody to get the wrong idea about what was going on. She didn't want that to happen. And you know, in the same way, if I had begun to take on a lot of the, the characteristics these girls were accusing me of, there would be jealousy too. If Amy started to exchange text messages with coworkers that were flirtatious that were taking up not only her her uh, emotional state and and really uh, coming to her coming to that person to find support and encouragement and all these things that you're supposed to find in a spouse jealousy would happen and if it turned from that to lunch dates and if it, if it goes from lunch dates to a physical relationship would you think I would be jealous I would be. I would be. And you know, as we think about that, that brings us to the book of Hosea. And the book of Hosea is really a book where the prophet Hosea is given these instructions to marry a woman who will be unfaithful. She will be unfaithful to him. And God asked Hosea to do this 
to show how unfaithful the nation of Israel has been to the covenant that they have together. And not only that they've been unfaithful, but the pursuing love of God in the midst of their unfaithfulness. And part of that pursuing love is the discipline that will come as a result of it because he's trying to woo them back to himself. And you see this when you look at the book of Hosea in chapter 1. You see this really play out as he's given those instructions. But even the children that he has with, with Gomer, his wife, these are their, their names, and, and this is what they mean. Punished for disobedience, not loved, not my people. So Hosea does the thing that God asked him to do. He even names his children as a way to symbolize the unfaithfulness of the nation of Israel. And so as we, we think about that, as we consider what that means for our lives, and as we think about what it is that makes us jealous and God's jealous and fierce love for us, I want us to understand that he's a God who is a passionate pursuer of us. And so the, you've heard this quote, you know, that the opposite of, of love isn't hate, it's indifference. He's not indifferent towards you. He's not. He's not indifferent at all towards you. Instead, he is for you and he pursues you. And we're going to see that as we jump into Hosea 2 and 3. So 3, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up with me. Hosea 2 and 3. And listen to what it says here. It says, Say of your brothers, my people, and of your sisters, my loved one, rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face and the unfaithfulness from between her breasts. Otherwise, I will strip her naked, and I make her as bare as on the day she was born. I will make her like a desert, turn her into a parched land, and slay her with thirst. I will not show my love to her children, because they are the children of adultery. And again, this is a picture of the nation of Israel. So when he talks about the, the mother and the father, he's talking about the leaders in Israel. And he's talking about the, the children, in other words, the people of Israel and how unfaithful they had been. And God says, hey, I want you to know what is coming to you. This is coming your way. And then it continues on here. It says, their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my olive oil, and my drink. Therefore, I will block her path with thorn bushes. I will wall her in so that she cannot find her way. She will chase after her lovers, but not catch them. She will look for them, but not find them. Then she will say, I will go back to my husband as at first, for then I was better off than now. In other words, he's saying, hey, you're pursuing all these different lovers. And in this context, again, the nation of Israel was looking to what the other nations had, the way that they operated with these other gods and, and how they did their lives. They were looking at this time of prosperity and turning away from the one true God. And they were pursuing these things. They were pursuing 
these lovers. And I want you to think in your own mind, what is it that you're pursuing that is above who God is and what he has for you? What is it that you would say, oh, the nations did this for me, or somebody else did this for me, but we are slow to remember who God is and what he's done for us, how he's been so good to us, how he's provided for us, how he's met our needs. And he says, hey, in the midst of of your life, I want you to know I'm doing this to cause you to remember. In a lot of ways, it reminds me of Luke 15, what the prodigal son experiences when he runs away, when he runs from home, and he comes to his senses, it says, as he's eating and in the mud with these pigs and, and all these things that are going on in his life. But that word prolong, uh, prodigal is really this idea of this extraordinary, radical, doesn't, ex, doesn't, um, doesn't call, count the expense, but is willing to go all the length that it takes to bring this lost son back home. And for us, we may not be the prodigal, we may be the religious person who knows all the God talk, knows all the, the, the stuff to do, but we don't know him. We, we may like, be like the kind of person that says, hey, I love hearing people talk about the Bible, but I have a hard time reading the Bible for myself. And really, that may be an equipping issue, that may be a training thing, but it may speak to, there's a sense that you don't have this loving union that you're intended to practice with your heavenly father. And he says again, you're going to call me husband, which uh, he's using this, this picture between Hosea and Gomer to be a picture between the nation of Israel and himself. He says, you're going to come back to me. You're going to return to me. Well, it continues on here. It says this, she has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her grain, the wine, the new wine and, and oil who lavished on her the silver and gold, which they use for veil, which is a, a worshiping of a false God, a God that was made with human hands. It was a God that would invoke fear in the people versus a loving union and a loving relationship that would be built on trust. It's like uh, the equivalent of the Greek gods. People were afraid of, of Zeus. They lived in a, a fear. But in Jesus, we don't have to live in that way. We can live in reverence. We can live in awe. But they lived in this place of being enslaved to fear. But he says she is not acknowledged. She is not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain. When's the last time you acknowledged who gave you what you have? When's the last time you acknowledged what you have? When's the last time you told God thank you and you thanked the people in your life for the gift that they are? Part of the issue for them is they were pursuing the wrong lovers, but also they were acknowledging the wrong source of what they had. Who are you acknowledging? Who's who's the one that you're looking to? And he goes on to say this. He says, therefore, I will take away my grain when it ripens and my new wine when it is ready. I will take back my wool and my linen intended to cover her naked body. So now I will expose her lewdness before the eyes of her lovers. No one will take her out of my hands. I will stop all the celebrations, her yearly festivals, her new moons, her Sabbath days, all her appointed festivals. Do you get the sense that God is a jealous God? You get that sense? You get the sense that he's 
he, man, he's saying, hey, I, I want to get your attention because right now you're numbed out by who I am because you're looking at all these other people and places and these, those who have political power around you, but you're not seeing me. You're not seeing me for who I am and what I've done for you. Well, it continues on here. It says this, I will ruin her vines and her fig trees, which she said were her pay from her lovers. Again, the other nations and the alliances that they had created. This is what this speaks to. I will make them a thicket and wild animals will devour them. I will punish her for the days she burned incense to the bales. She decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers. But me, she what? She forgot. She forgot me, declares the Lord. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. Wow. Talk about whiplash, right? He's like giving it to know. He's telling them, hey, this is what's going to happen. But again, it's to get their attention. And he's saying, hey, I want you to know that what I'm going to do is I'm going to cause you, cause you to remember who I am. And not only to remember who I am, but I want you to know that I'm going to allure you. And think about this. He could have said a lot of things. He could have said, I'm going to push you away from me. I'm going to not only bring discipline, but it's just going to be discipline. But he says, I'm going to allure you. And to be allured really speaks of this great love and this great compassion and this pursuit of each and every one of us. And he's going to bring the nation of Israel and the people there into the wilderness, this time of waiting for him to show up and, and to do the things that they had experienced because of the covenant that they had with them. And he's going to speak tenderly to her. He's going to speak tenderly to her. And I just want you to know, God is alluring each and every one of us. Even in the pain point of your life right now, he's inviting you in. Even with the discipline that you're experiencing, he's alluring you in. Even when the world that is on your shoulders, the weight, he's alluring you in. He's inviting you. And he's speaking kindly to you. And his kindness towards you is meant for us to constantly walk in a state of repentance. Where we acknowledge who the one true God is. Where we align our lives with his divine direction. And where we're about his kingdom ways. But when you read this, it may feel like he's just giving them, you know, the top rope jump, right? Like as a wrestler, right? You know, like he, he's just, man, clothesline, you know, like he's, he's taking a UFC kind of fight style. But you know, as I think about this as a father with Ray, there are things with Ray that as I'm seeking to walk with him that I invite him into. And oftentimes they're met with a lot of tears because they're things that he doesn't want to do but are good for him. They're good for his development. They're good for him growing in his understanding of what God has for him. And even with the tears, I have worked to speak kindly to him in it. Because whenever I freak out, you, 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 know, you know what I mean if you're a parent, it does not help. And I have an intensity to myself by nature 
And so whenever that intensity goes up, it causes people around me to shut down and to run away. But if I'll invite him and speak tenderly to him and say, hey, Ray, hey, man, I know this is hard for you. I know this is tough, man, but you are a brave, strong boy. And I'm going to be right here. And you, you can do this thing, this thing that you're afraid of. You can do it. And it takes time and it takes repetition. But lo and behold, we've got a boy that's now potty trained. We praise God for that. We praise God for that. But I think it's a reminder for us that oftentimes when God walks with us, he doesn't always give us what we want or tell us what we want to hear, but lovingly lead us to where we need to go. Here's the question, though. Will we fight him along the way? Because this is an alluring. He's inviting us. And it goes on to say this. It says, there I will give her back her vineyards, and I will make the valley of Akura a door of hope. And the word Akura means trouble. So they're having trouble right now. But he said, there's a hope that is coming. Then it goes on to say this. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt, when she left slavery, when she experienced the Red Sea Road, where the Red Sea was parted, she's going to remember that. And she will no longer, it says here, and that day she declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I will remove the names of the bells from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. And what he's saying is, hey, I'm inviting you in. There's hope coming. You're no longer going to call me master. Rather, you're going to call me husband. And what this means is this is an affectionate relationship. You're going to remember how faithful I've been. And as I think about even what Jesus would say in John 15, he would say, no longer do I call you slaves, but I call you friends. John 15. I'm inviting you in to something. I'm inviting you to hear what I have to say to you. And it goes on to say this here. It says, in that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the fields, the birds in the sky, and the creatures that move along the ground. Bow and sword and battle I will abolish from the land so that all may lie in, uh, down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, and love, and compassion, I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. And so as you think about what's being said here, and as you consider what is happening, there is this, this process of not only being pursued, but he's speaking to them, and he's going to provide for them. And you know, every day, we're invited to hear the voice of our Heavenly Father through the finished work of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Every day, we're invited to hear what he says for us and to receive the marching orders that he has for us. Because when you think about that word, ecclesia, when it says, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The word ecclesia, it means called out. They're the called out people, but it was actually a military term. And it, it speaks to being called out to listen to our leader's instructions for us. What do you have for me today? And as he speaks to us, it's important that we hear how he speaks to us. So as we think about that, here's a couple things. How is God alluring you and speaking tenderly to you? 
How is God alluring and speaking tenderly to you? How's that happening in your life? What, what is going on within you where he's alluring you? And again, it doesn't mean everything's going great. But how are you watching him meet you, minister to you, provide for you? How are you experiencing his invitation to you? Again, how is God alluring you and speaking tenderly to you? And here's the next part of this. How is God alluring you and speaking tenderly to you? Is it with righteousness? In other words, there's a, a right way that it's intended to be to experience the righteousness of God through Jesus. I've become righteous, not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done. Is it with justice? Hey, there's a way in which the world is supposed to, to operate. And when there's injustice or things are not the way they're intended to be according to God's design, he's going to speak to that love, this unconditional love, this compassion where he empathizes with our struggle and our experience and with faithfulness. And if you answer this question, no, he doesn't speak to me that way. I just lovingly want to challenge you. You're not looking at the one true God and experience him the way he's created you to experience him and intended for you to experience him. So if, if you don't hear him in these ways, meaning you only pick a couple of those, but you don't hear the side of his righteousness and justice or his love, compassion, and faithfulness. You're missing him, and he's inviting you to hear his voice. And it's beautiful. What an invitation. So as we think about this, I want to continue to read here, and we're going to go through this, and, and I want to just help us again to get context to what's going on here because I want us to understand what's going to next happen to Hosea. Because this speaks to what Hosea is actually going to experience too. It says, in that day I'll respond, declares the Lord. I'll respond to the skies and they'll respond to the earth. And the earth will respond to the grain, the new wine, and the olive oil. And they will respond to Jezreel. I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called, not my loved one. I will say to those, not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. Identity change, stepping into it, idolatries wiped away from their lips. They're hearing what God says of them. He's redeeming this whole situation. He's bringing restoration. He's inviting them into it. But then it goes on to say this in Hosea 3. It says, the Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man, and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels and a silver, and in silver, uh, 15 shekels of, of silver, and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You will not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way toward you. Talk about extravagant love. He says, hey, I want you to go find your wife, and I want you to buy her back. You already have this covenant with her. She's been unfaithful, but your love for her is to be a display of how I love people in the nation of Israel. It's, it's this extravagant love that doesn't spare expense, right? It's this love 
that the one who created all things, the one that they forgot, the one that they didn't acknowledge, the one who gives us the ability to make the things that they were enjoying, that same God, that same God would come to them and pursue them and invite them in. And for us, think about this, the creator of the universe, the one who gave us the ability to do what it is that we do, those same people, those same people who had created nails would use those nails and that hammer to hammer Jesus on a cross. And his arms would be extended for us wide open because it's this radical, this pursuing love for us. And it's a picture here of what Hosea is doing for, for Gomer but how Jesus does that for each and every one of us. And pardon the, the, the statement here, but we all prostitute ourselves to other gods. We all give ourselves to other things that are not the one true God and what he's intended and created us for. But the good news is we've got a God who's pursuing us and inviting us in. And I love Hosea's posture to, towards Gomer, not only did he do what God asked him to do, and there's obedience in that, and that's beautiful, but he didn't treat her as she had acted. He didn't treat her like a prostitute. He didn't buy her back to use her and objectify her. He instead said, no, I, you are my wife. You are my wife, and I'm continuing with this covenant. And so as we, we think about this, I want to give you some things to think about. And Robin, let's just skip the, the other section of verses here and let's go right to the points. Here, here's the, the question I have for you. Are you encountering God's extraordinary love for you? Are you? Are you experiencing God's extraordinary love for you? Is that your experience? Is that what it is that you have going on in your life? And the next part of this is God encountering an extraordinary love from you. Is God encountering an extraordinary love from you? Is that happening in your, your, own, your own life? And as we think about that, it, it really leads us to this, which is simply that we say we love him too with our lives. We say we love you with our lives. When we give him our attention, when we give him our affection, when we say you are the priority, I'm coming after you and you alone with all that I have, and that's going to lead me to respond and live according to what you have for me because I believe you know what's best for me. Jesus said very clearly, and these are words people don't like to hear, if you love me, you're going to obey my commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome, but they're life giving his commandments are for our benefit and for his glory they're for our flourishing and the flourishing of others and right now right now what we have happening in the american church and often people talk about the decline of the american church is because we miss the commission that jesus gave us which says hey go make disciples that's part of it but also teach them to obey everything i've commanded what does that mean? That means we have a job and a role to equip people, but also to equip them to obey Jesus, his character, what he was about, and his competency, how he went about what he did. And there's many of you here, and I just lovingly want to say this to you, 
that have been walking with Jesus for a long time, but there's part of you that is withholding who you are to him. That's why you have this constant bitterness in your heart. Bitterness really speaks to a problem of understanding what we just read about in Hosea. Because if you understand the radical love of God and how he's forgiven you, forgiveness is just the natural response. That doesn't mean that you're going to be buddy-buddy with that person again or your best friends or whatever. But where is there bitterness in you? Some of you, some of you, the issue right now in your life is that you are, are a person because you're such an inner critic of yourself that you become critical of others. That is not a fruit of the Spirit. That is not. That is out of alignment with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of you, you only want to hear what you want to hear. And so when hard things need to be talked about, whether they're issues within our own lives or things that we need to grow in and we need to work in and work on, we're like, no, 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 it's too hard. God couldn't possibly want me to go there. And yet he's inviting you. And I want you to hear me. I say this from a posture of love for you. I desire for you to experience the fullness of Jesus. But you will not experience the fullness of Jesus without walking with him and doing what it is he's asked you to do, both in character and competency. Again, who we're becoming, what it is we're doing in light of who Christ is. And here at Riverbend, we're going to continue to do our part to help train and equip you, not just so you can know more, Because at the end of the day, Jesus will not ask you, how much did you know? He's going to ask you, what did you do with what you knew? He is not going to ask, hey, how many Bible studies did you do? He's going to ask, what did you do with the Bible studies that you were a part of? How did you apply it in your life? And right now, more than ever, we need to hear these words. Because I believe we're after something that looks spiritual but is not spiritual. It's another form of idolatry. We say, I want the deep things of God, but we don't want God himself. We don't want to do what he asks us to do. And that's why people will say things like, man, I just need deeper teaching, I need this or that. No, you need Jesus. And you need to walk deeply with him. And you need to listen to what he says and do what he says. And next time you hear somebody say that, I need deep teaching, just ask them the question, Hey, what did you do with last week's sermon? How did you apply it? And if they say, uh, you know, I, you know, I got busy, you know, like, uh, what did God ask you to do with it? Uh, you know, la, la, la. you know what? It sounds like actually you need to go back and listen to the sermon because you haven't graduated to more until you do what He asks us to do in response to Him. We're not meant to just ab- absorb information. We're meant to be transformed. And that transformation is going to lead to how we live our lives. You know, when Jesus is the great shepherd, he doesn't want the sheep just to get fat. Because in real terms, when the sheep get fat and they take in more, there's a word called cast. They're casted. What happens? They fall right over. And they can't get back up. And they're susceptible to wolves coming. And, And not only that, they're not able to be effective they can't multiply they can't use what they have been designed to to do they they can't i just want to encourage us we need community that's going to point us to who christ is but many of you just lovingly need to hear he's inviting you in 
Will you do what he asks you to do? Because this is the mark of true discipleship. This is not about what you know. It's about who you know and what you do with what he says. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, right now, I thank you for your love for us. It's an extraordinary love, and it's radical, and it's pursuing. Father, right now, I want to pray for us, each and every one of us who is here today. I pray that more than my voice, they would hear your voice. They would hear your great love for them. Father, that you're alluring them in, that you're speaking with righteousness and justice and love and compassion and faithfulness. Father, I pray right now they would hear your voice. But when they hear, they wouldn't harden their hearts like the nation of Israel had done. But they would say yes, yes. And with my life, I'm saying yes to you, Jesus. Yes to whatever it is that you have for me. Whatever it is that you want for me, yes. And for those who are hearing this message today, and and they're not even sure what they think about Jesus, and they're hearing about prostitutes and a prophet, and they're, they're hearing all these things. Father, I pray more than anything, they would hear your kindness that's inviting them in and to put their trust in you, Jesus. Lord, we love you, and we're grateful that you call us friends, Jesus, and you're inviting us to join you. And so I pray we would join you. I pray we would be more than people who know about you or listen to a podcast about you or listen to sermons about you, but know you and walk with you and that that would change us from the inside out, that that would change not only us, but our families, that would change our community, that would change our world, God. We are desperate for you right now, God. We are desperate for your extraordinary love for us, God. And we're desperate to be a people who are compelled by it and controlled by it. And that spills over to all that we do. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you so much for speaking so kindly to us and inviting us in. I thank you for this church and I thank you for the people here today and the gift it is to do life together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, guys, as we uh, think about today, there's a couple things I wanna give to you as a response. So you can text it in. If you've made any decision or you have a, a prayer request or anything like that, if you made a decision to follow Christ, if you're like, man, there's areas in my life where I feel like I'm not being obedient to Jesus. Like, I, I know he's saying to do this, but I'm not doing it. And maybe that issue isn't just because you don't want to, you don't know how to. I would love to, to know that so that we can help walk with you. Because sometimes that's the gap, right? you may know a lot of stuff, but you haven't apprenticed under Jesus and had others to walk with you. And so we're committed to the apprenticing under Jesus and walking with him. The other, the other part of this is I want to invite you to give. It's your generosity that invites, that allows us and, and enables us to really be able to join Jesus of this mission he's given to us, of living for Jesus, loving the valley and the world. And there's a couple ways you can do that. You can text it in. You can use the app, you can mail it in, you can go online, and there's an offering box, all right, not, a, not an offering basket, but a box, because the people got confused, is this for the cafe, or is this an offering box, and why are there napkins in here? Uh, and so we, we made a change systematically here to, to help eliminate any confusion about that, 
Uh, but the other part of what I want to say is, as you are, are giving uh, in what your generosity allows us to do, I want to get specific here. Um, over these next couple of weeks, we're going to be having a couple different things that are going on. Uh, we're getting ready uh, for a team that's going to come in and help us do all kinds of different things. But specifically, we're going to be doing some renovations within the space here. And we're going to actually move River Rocks uh, back over to the foundations area. We're going to give foundations more space and more room, and our offices will move here, okay? So I want you to kind of be, be ready for that. Um, and, and we have a great team of people that are, are doing that. We've got VBS coming up, and it's your generosity that allows us to do s- those types of things. And then even Thursday, we have a, a training uh, with, with Hire, uh, HR company. Erica Butler's going to be here uh, doing a disc profile training for people. She's in town from, from Europe. And we have about 60 or so leaders coming in here uh, to be a part of that. It's your generosity that allows us to do that. And I want to thank you so much for that. But I also want to thank you because it's your generosity um, that has enabled people like myself and Travis and Chris to do what we do. But specifically, as you look at those things that I just mentioned, at the heart of many of them, and to see the ball move forward, is uh, someone that means a lot to me personally, and that's, that's Travis Ross. Um, and I'm going to invite Travis to come up here with me. Um, and I, I'm grateful for Travis. Uh, but one of the things that many of you know um, is that his, his wife, Grace, his bride, has been dealing with not only uh, they, she had a concussion, but the symptoms following uh, the concussion. Um, and it's been ongoing. And uh, Travis and I have been just journeying through this together as brothers. And uh, I'm trying not to get emotional, but just uh, bear with me as I get through this. Um, I've been weepy-eyed all, all weekend and teary-eyed. Um, but one of the things that has just come to light is that for Grace and their family, uh, she does better in like warmer climates. Like it just helps her overall health. And on the front end of processing that, Travis had come to me and just said, hey, I'm not trying to get ahead of God, but I'm not sure what God's doing here. And as brothers and as friends and as co-laborers, we've been walking with each other through that. And l- last, uh, two weeks ago, two weeks ago, uh, I just was following up because he had visited an area called uh, in Jacksonville, Florida, an area that that's where him and Grace had actually met. Um, and they have a, a great community and support there of a church that Travis was a big part of and, and helping uh, start the, the student youth ministry there. And so all that to say, um, it, it became really clear to me and to Travis and to Grace. We believe God's in this and that um, Travis and Grace are going to be moving to Jacksonville, Florida to be in warmer climate temperature. And so and, and, and warmer weather. And so that move's not happening right away, but we wanted to tell you because you're going to see pictures on social media of a house going up for sale. And we want to be on the front end of these conversations to let you know uh, that Travis and Grace are going to be with us to the fall, and that at the fall at some point they're going to they're make their move. And I also want you to know this so that you can be praying for them and encouraging them. And if you know anybody in Jacksonville, that you say, hey, you know what? This may be a great job lead. Because in this season, Travis is, is purposely going to take a step back from what we would use the term vocational ministry to so care well for his family 
in this season, which takes a lot of courage. It takes courage to do what we just read about in the scriptures, but we have a real life example. He's doing this for the love of his bride. Um, and as I prayed through that and I thought through, I'm like, man, God is in this. God is in this. And that's really hard for me and hard for him because he's meant so much to me personally. Um, but I also believe that God's in this too. Like it can be true. I'm sad and I know God's in it. Um, and the other part of this, just want to give a quick logistical heads up. With Travis transitioning out, that, his role then will be split between myself and Sam Shorzy. Um, and so just if you're like, where do I go to? Who do I go to with that? Again, we've got, we've got some time here. But I just want to give you a heads up on that. But more than anything, I just want to take a moment to pray uh, for them. Um, it's, uh, it's been a long road. And yet, as we said, you know, life's hard and God is good. God is good. So let, let me pray for my brother Travis here. Father, right now, we thank you for him. We thank you for the gift that he is. We thank you for grace and little Johnny. God brings me a lot of joy. And yet it's hard, God, and it's hard to walk with you and to go in these um, places and these territories that often don't make sense. And even when you brought them up and all the things that you were so faithful and kind to do and the ways you've used them. And to not want to move by choice, but rather because you're inviting them to care well for their family, God, is a hard decision. And so right now, I just want to commend before our church here and before you, Lord, Travis's faithfulness and obedience and Father, the burden that he's carried and the way he's loved his bride so well in the way that his bride has uh, followed after what it is that you have set out for them to do together, Lord. And I just want to pray for just your mercy and your grace upon grace upon grace upon grace that as they're going to be at the beach, the beach life in Jacksonville, I pray that they would be reminded of the waves of your grace that just sweep over them. And uh, Lord, we know that this isn't a goodbye, but also we know that Things will be different, and yet we're family forever. And Lord, I'm just thankful for my brother, and I'm thankful for the gift uh, that he is and the ways in which um, you've used him. I pray a special blessing in this time of transition. And Lord, I thank you for the gift, again, that they are to me. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I love you so much, man. <laughs>